Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Tata Sharice. I don't need this bitch talking shit about me. I might, you know, like, ooh, this big ass bitch eat all that food but don't know how to eat no motherfucking pussy. Like, that and more. But before that, oh my God, I'm so excited that we are finally returning to Detroit and Chicago. Detroit, we're coming back to the magic bag. We have so many absolutely magical, unforgettable memories of magic bag shows in the past. And we are back there in Detroit on July 30th. And then the next night, July 31st, we'll be at Lincoln Hall in Chicago. Another one. Instantly, I just say the words and I am, it's like life flashing before my eyes. These amazing memories that we've had in Chicago at Lincoln Hall. I'll tell you what, We've been workshopping these stories that we have in mind for these, <laughs> that we have in mind, that we're preparing for these two shows. And I'm just blown away. I'm so thrilled that we're coming back. So go to risk-show.com tour and come on out. Detroit and Chicago, July 30th and 31st. You can get all that information at risk-show.com tour. Folks, one of my all-time favorite Risk stories is the one called Outside the Comfort Zone by Chris Ryan. It's when he's in the Mayan ruins, he's on acid, he gets bitten by a scorpion. Well, Chris has his own podcast called Tangentially Speaking, and I was on a recent episode of it. Chris has never stopped adventuring. In fact, he just told me he's roaming the plains of the Serengeti as I'm recording this. And Chris knows so many fascinating people that he talks to on Tangentially Speaking. You can hear him in conversation with a bank robber, a sex worker, an Italian prince, philosophers, experts in psychedelics. Chris wrote the absolutely fascinating and groundbreaking New York Times bestseller, Sex at Dawn, about the whole history of non-monogamy in our species. He talks about that and so much more, maintaining psychological health in a troubled world. At the end of the day, great conversation has no bounds. So go ahead, follow Tangentially Speaking on the Substack iOS app, Chris Ryan, substack.com or wherever you listen to your podcast and tell Chris Kevin sent you let tend dental make your dream smile a reality we offer a variety of top rated treatments including Invisalign aligners and for a limited time tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments offer valid through January 31st so don't wait Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, this is Galactic behind me now, and we're calling this week's episode Orifices, a topic so near and dear to my heart. Openings, apertures, and mouth-like holes. I'll tell you, I was blown away by a story we're, we're going to hear in a little bit by Jonathan Giuseppe. Uh, that was recorded at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles very recently. David Crabb bound Jonathan and put him on the show. David produces and hosts the show out in Los Angeles. We should have David come on and co-host an episode of the podcast sometime. But before that, this story was so much fun. This was recorded at a recent Risk Live show at Caveat in New York City. This is Tata Cherise who we just fell in love with when she did the show. Uh, Tata is a comedian, an actress. You can find her on Twitter at Tata Charisse. And will we hear Betty White at any point in the episode? I highly, highly doubt it. Anyways, the transition comes Florence, what delicious treat are you going to share with us today? Ah, well, of course, my, my carrot cake is obviously legendary. But if there's one thing I'm known for, it's my muffin. Mm, I can't wait to taste your muffin. Mm. Mm. Wow. Warm. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's surprisingly salty. <laughs> I mean that in a very good way. What are you waiting for, stupid? Eat it. I tend to do desperate things after breakups. You know, I have like a a six-week period of desperate activities going on. Shameless sex, you know how it goes. But one time in 2020, you know, I uh, took that to another level, and I didn't expect it. I was shocked at myself. I ate my first pussy. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was, it was quite an experience, actually. I. I'm very liberal. I believe everybody should, you know, date who they want to date, fuck who they want to fuck. I don't care about any of that stuff. But I've always, you know, trailed one way. So this was definitely an encounter I never forgot. I got invited out to a party by a guy with a deep voice. You know, I think that gets you out the house a little more. (laughs) You know, the deeper the voice. So I got invited to this party. This is someone that I flirt with on Instagram. 
DMs, you know, not texting or anything like that. We just have a little flirty relationship. Never took it off the internet. But I know who he is, so I know he's not like a killer or anything like that. So he's like, yeah, I'm having a birthday party tonight. You should come by. I'm going through this heartbreak, but this is week four for me in the heartbreak. But I'm like, you know, it's time to get out the house. Let me go out. I get dressed, sort of, and I head out. And when I get there, he greets me at my car and walks me to this, it looked like a bar house type of situation. It was outside of the city of Philadelphia, so it wasn't too city-like. It wasn't giving city bar vibes. It was giving a house turned to a bar vibes. You know, so I'm like, okay, this is different. And he stops me at the door. He's like, listen, before we walk in there, I want to let you know several of my bitches are here. <laughs> so I won't be able to give you as much attention tonight. Wow. So I'm like, all right, you know, what? I'm going to just drink all their motherfucking liquor, you know? <laughs> I'm going to just drink all of their liquor. This is what I'm saying to myself. I walk in and, Lord behold, several of his bitches were in there. You know, it was just girls, young, younger women. So mind you, I'm 29 around this time. I'm 29 while this is going on, you know, right before that 30 mark. And everyone in there is under 25. So this was quite an age gap for me personally. And I get there and the girls are all dancing on each other. They look like Spice Girls. Everybody looked different, <laughs> you know, and they were looking at me, dancing on me as the night was going on and I'm, sipping my cold drink and everything. And I'm, I'm a little perplexed at why they're staring at me. Big lesbian vibes, you know? I had on a baggy jacket, straight black braids. It was just, it wasn't sexy lipstick lesbian. It was, I would put on a strap or something. <laughs> so they were uh, looking at me and I was looking back at them, not saying that I'm gay, but that night I was staring back sipping my drink. There was this one girl in particular. She danced over to me. She had a nice body. I'm saying she had a nice ass, perky titties, chocolatey skin. She was, you know, very, very nice. She looked good. She was gorgeous. She's standing in front of me, rocking her hips back and forth, asking me, so what are you doing after this? And I said, I'm turning 30. You know... <laughs> how you just say something stupid when someone asks you a question because you're kind of shocked at what's going on. I'm like turning 30. She's like, what? No, what are you doing after this? I said, oh, I have a lot going on. You know, I have work. I have to get up early. I, you know, I got a lot of responsibility, you know? And she's like, okay, just think about it. I'll be back in 20 minutes. I'm like, okay. I'm sitting down drinking my drink watching these young people do their thing. And um, she does come back, in fact, in 20 minutes. So she's there swinging her hips again, dancing in front of me, being seductive. You know, I don't know what's going on at this point. She's like, did you think about it? <sighs> yeah, I'm going to call it a night. I have, you know, adult things to do tomorrow. I can't stay out too late. I'm going to call it a night. She cut me off as I'm giving these excuses, right? And she's like, we have weed. I said, well, bitch, why didn't you start with that? Like, you know, why didn't you start with the weed? <laughs> I, that quickly changed my mind. I'm telling you, I went from this to this in just like a quick second. I said, well, do you need anything? Snacks? Do you need anything to roll it in? Do you want me to stop at the store? Am I following you? Are you sending me the address? You know, I'm asking all of the necessary questions 
<laughs> to this young lady. So she, we coordinate, and she's like, oh, you can just follow us. And us being her and the guy who invited me, the guy with the deep voice. I said, this should be interesting. I'm a bit nervous, because I'm like, what's about to happen? Are we about to have a threesome? Like, you know, I didn't know what to expect. We pull up to the apartment. It's still a nice town, still a nice area. As I'm walking in with this young lady and the guy, He's announcing everything because we're in the Me Too era, you know, like it's the Me Too season. So he's like, walking into my apartment with two women willingly, you know. (laughs) He's like letting his neighbors know he has chicks coming in. So we're just walking into this apartment. He's opening the door and announcing that we're going in. So everybody knows everybody's willing to be here right now. We get inside and my nerves, that's when my nerves really started to hit me because I'm like, oh shit, I'm here. I'm in here with these two young people. What the fuck? They offer me drinks. I'm like, okay, you know, let's get the party started. And she starts rolling the weed and everything. She's still, I don't know if it's something about younger people. They never stop moving their hips. She's like bouncing around, being young, under 25. Titties are perky. It was just, you know... She was really doing her thing and she put on TikToks. So we started to TikTok. You know, now we're doing these TikTok dances. It's on the big screen. There's just so much going on. And he dims the lights, you know, always, you can always count on the guy, I guess, to get the party started for real, for real. But he dims the lights and she's waiting by the bedroom door and she calls me over with one finger. I'm confused. I do look around and try to figure out Oh my gosh, she talking to me? I'm not saying that I'm gay, but that night my feet were because they started moving (laughs) in this girl's direction. They started moving in her direction. And then they moved into the bedroom. Now this is like (laughs) a moment for me where the part of the breakup, you know, starts to kick in because this girl is hot and she's like undressing herself. And then she starts to undress me. And I'm like, you you guys ever open up like a can of biscuits? Pillsbury? You know, and shit starts to pop out. You know, at this point, I've always been a confident woman. I've always been a confident woman. I've always been a bigger girl my entire life. I've embraced it, but I still have my insecure moments, you know? Where I'm like, shit, I'm fat. (laughs) You know, and I'm in front of this hot girl and she's undressing me. And shit's popping out. It's a titty over here. It's a titty over there. You know, stomach meets pussy. It's just all types of shit going on. And she's like, I like all that shit. I'm like, oh, okay. So she lays me down and uh, she starts to eat my pussy. I am spreading as wide as I can go. I'm embracing the moment as she's going in there and doing her thing. And she does it repeatedly as I come. You know, she doesn't stop. She's in there for the long run. She is eating pussy, (laughs) perfusively, like just eating pussy. And I'm like, when does it stop? You know, and (laughs) she just keeps going and going. And uh, then she finally stops after the third time, her third go round. She's like, all right, your turn. (sighs) This is when I'm stressed the fuck out. I tell her, I say, hey, I I I need to go to the bathroom. I went in there. And I closed the door. 
And I'm here here stressed the hell out. Let me tell you, I, I just have so many things going on. I never ate a pussy before. You don't get a step-by-step manual on how to eat pussy. There's no guide. Like, here, this is how you eat pussy. It's just, it's not something that comes with you when it's time to do it. So I said, I have two options. One, I could eat this pussy like it's my pussy, which is kind of weird because I would never eat my own pussy. You know? I'm like, ah. My second option, I could pretend it's one of my favorite dishes. Ha, lasagna. You know, all the flaps and shit, minus the cottage cheese, you know what I mean? Like, the ricotta cheese is going, you know? Just the flaps. I'm like, okay. Because I'm like, I don't need this bitch talking shit about me. I might, you know, like, ooh, this big-ass bitch eat all that food but don't know how to eat no motherfucking pussy. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, no, this, this can't happen. I can't have my pussy-eating name stained in the streets at this point. This is my first time. I want her to leave a good review. So I go back into the room after having a conversation with myself, and I'm ready to eat this pussy at this point. I done trained, I, you know, I did all types of motions in the bathroom, I prayed, everything. I'm, I'm here and I'm ready. So she lays down and she spreads her legs and I go in and I just disappear in the pussy, pretty much. And I, you know, initially an acquired taste, it was clean, it was nice. I said, oh wow, this is crazy. This is what pussy is, okay. It, was, it just was an experience that, like I said, that I'll never forget. Now this is when I knew what it felt like to be a man, because this girl threw this pussy at me all night. You know, I never met her. So I'm like, wow, this is what it's like to be a guy. You know, I make her come, I'm feeling proud. I'm like, yes, that was my goal, just make her nut. Now I'm not gonna do that round for round shit like she did. <laughs> But to make her come once was an accomplishment to me, and I did, I made her come. So she rolls over, I get up, I'm putting on my pants at this point. She's like, you don't wanna cuddle? I'm like, yeah, it's time to get on up out of here. You were great, I had a good time, I'll call you. And that's exactly what I said, cause I'm an adult, <laughs> you know? Eating my first pussy really made me feel liberated. It made me understand men in a different way because there are younger women out there who will go in attack mode when they see you and they want you. So I got to experience what that was like, which made me want to suck dick more, if that makes sense. <laughs> I went from being depressed and down and out to just getting my groove back you know, and figuring out who I am and, and having that moment to feel like me again and know that I can do anything in this world, include eat pussy. Thank you. <laughs> All right, you guys, so it is time to eat. So we're gonna see how it tastes. And let me say grace. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this food that I'm about to receive. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. I am so hungry, y'all. When I say hungry, I'm hungry. Hungry, 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 hungry. I feel like so. Yep, yep. The benefits of oral aren't just physical. They're emotional, too. Mm. Our face, our genitals. It's still good. 
make it your goal to pleasure your partner. I don't know. You'll be setting them up for a much better experience. Oh my gosh. Now let's talk about receiving. Though it may seem simple, enjoying oral requires vulnerability. It's good though. Letting go of worries about your body is crucial. If your partner wants to go down on you, it means they find you attractive. And your pleasure is important to them. Ooh, she is the boss. There's no need to rush, perform, or do anything for your partner in return. I am so overjoyed. Mm. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> what y'all know? What y'all know? What y'all know about that? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. So five years ago, all of my hair and my pubes fell out because of chemotherapy. I had cancer. I wasn't just doing chemo recreationally like those wild teens we've heard so much about. I uh, had a very rare cancer called sarcoma that takes place in the connective tissue of your body. It was in my right calf. And it hadn't spread anywhere, so it was serious, but it wasn't deadly. Still, you know, anytime you get a cancer diagnosis, you begin to question your mortality. And uh, the year after treatment, I made the decision to come out as genderqueer. I came from a really conservative family, so before cancer, I kind of thought, you know, I'd be one of those people on their deathbed that just inaudibly murmurs, I was queer, and then dies. (laughs) But, uh, you know, cancer really made me see that I, I, it was important for me to be myself in this life. And so I was done with treatment, and I was out for two years, and things, you know, are great. When you're allowed to be yourself, everything you do, even the mundane stuff, is just colored with this hint of joy and presence. My spouse, Katie, she supported me 100%. She was the one that bought me my first purse, mostly because I kept losing my clutch. She was like, bitch, you need a purse. (laughs) I was like, okay, okay. So she gets me this huge blue purse, but I, you know, I don't have much in it. Can't put tampons in it. Obviously, I wear pads. 
in all seriousness, I had this huge purse, but uh, it was empty, but that was about to change. Two months into the pandemic, I was lying on my couch and I just couldn't breathe. It felt like there was like a tank on my chest. I was scared it was COVID, so I went to the doctor the next day and they did an x-ray and it showed that there was so much fluid in my chest that it was collapsing my left lung. So they rushed me to the hospital immediately to drain the lung and they did a CT scan and a biopsy and it showed that the cancer had come back and this time it was in my chest wall. When I looked at the CT scan, I was shocked. There was this huge tumor in my chest and it was very close to my heart and it was compressing my left lung. I, I just like couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that that was inside of me. I was like, how did it grow? And I didn't wanna believe it because I had just really started living my life. I mean, you know, this can't be. But um, it, was, it was true. Um, and so when I looked at the CT scan also, I was, I was like very aware. I was like, treatment was really hard the first time. I don't know if I can do it again. And also, um, I might not make it through this time. And they said the words stage four. They said the words urgent, but I didn't want to believe them. But still, you know, when you have cancer, there's no other choice. You just have to start. So I started treatment again. And I was on a clinical trial uh, of immunotherapy and chemotherapy. And it was great. It worked for a while. But unfortunately, after a year and a half, the tumor slowly began to grow to the point that it was pushing my heart to the side and it was compressing my pulmonary artery. I remember I met with my surgeon and he was concerned and he, was, he sat me down and I'll never forget, he was like, Jonathan, I'm not gonna lie, this is the real deal. We have to switch treatment immediately. So they started radiating my chest and they switched my chemo to a more intense chemo. This new chemo, instead of getting chemo for one day, I would bring this huge bag home with me and I would slowly get chemo pumped into my body for two weeks straight. This new chemo made me really dehydrated and made my poop like a rock. <laughs> it was as hard as it could be, like a rock. <laughs> the doctors said this could happen and to take stool softeners every day. I don't know if I thought I was too cool for stool. <laughs> softeners or what? But at some point, I just stopped taking them. And boy, oh boy, were me and my butthole completely humbled. <laughs> now I pop stool softeners like after dinner mints. I buy them at bulk at Costco with the old people. I'm team stool softener. But I wasn't always, you know, this wise and weathered butthole sage you see before you. I had to go on a hero's journey. When people think about cancer patients, they think about them puking, but they don't think about them pooping. And I'm here to change that tonight. <laughs> Somebody has to do the work. <laughs> the day started with my coffee and the calming expectation of my morning poop.
I finished my coffee, and I remember I walked to the bathroom, and I closed the door, and I felt that safety you feel of knowing you're gonna have this time with yourself. <laughs> I sat down, I put on pure moods. <laughs> Everything was perfect. But then I push, and immediately I'm like, wow, that's too big. It shouldn't be that big. I turn off peer moods, and now I'm a little scared. I'm scared to deal with the reality of what's back there. But I push again, and it feels like if my butthole is a pellet gun, and someone's loading a cannonball into the chamber. I sit up, I focus up, and I say to myself, I need to take this shit seriously. <laughs> the fight is on. Katie can hear the battle from outside the bathroom. And finally, she brings me two yoga blocks for my feet so my hips can have a better angle. You know, finally, she has to come into the bathroom and help me. And she's like, you know, right by my side and she's, she's coaching me. This is after an hour of fighting. But, you know, her coaching is mostly her just going like, oh my God, I am so sorry. <laughs> so my intestines are squeezing and cramping and I'm leaning forward and grunting. I'm not saying I know what it's like to go through childbirth, but what I am saying is that this turd initiated contractions. I'm so scared. And it's two hours in and I've got nowhere. And the sensation in my body is so intense, I think I'm gonna pass out or like puke. And finally I'm like, okay, we just need to swallow our pride and call a professional. So I call my oncologist and the front desk person answers. They're like, hi, you have four people in front of you. Do you mind if I put you on hold? Before I can even say a word, I'm on hold and all I hear is smooth jazz through the phone. So now all Katie hears is like, doo doo bum 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 Oh, God! Fuck me! Kill me now! Finally, they get back on the phone and they're like, Hi, this is Ramiro speaking. How may I help you? And I'm like, Hi. This is Jonathan Giuseppe. Um, I feel like I have the statue of David in my ass and I, I don't know how to proceed. He's like, okay, damn, let me transfer you. This is the front desk guy. This is way over his head. So he transfers me to Anya, the nurse practitioner, and she's a total badass, a total pro. She's right there in the pocket with me. She's like, all right, calm down, stand up drink some water, walk around. I know this is scary, but this will pass. 
it feels like prophetic or something, like she's like King Solomon. I feel totally reassured. I hang up the phone, you know, now I have a plan. So I stand up to get a glass of water and poopy water rushes down both my legs. I start kicking my chemo bag away because I don't want to shit on my chemo, which is not a sentence I ever thought I would say, but we're in uncharted territory. I was also on disability the whole time I was in cancer treatment, and for good reason, you know. You can't have a job and go to your boss and be like, hey, Rick, um, I'm going to take a three-hour shit. Screen my calls. You also can't take a shit in the office that's so intense you have to take your shirt off. You can't be completely naked in the stall when someone walks in. That's not the corporate culture they're trying to cultivate. So I look down at my phone and indeed three hours have passed, over three hours. And now I'm really concerned, I'm really scared because I called a professional and I feel like I'm all out of options, it didn't work. I have a true weight in my colon that I've never felt before. And I don't know if I have the strength to move what needs to be moved. Yes, I'm concerned about my poor little butthole. It's never been open for this long. And I'm scared it's gonna rip. Yes, I'm concerned that I'm gonna have to give up and go to the hospital and like, they're gonna have to like put me under and pull it out. I don't know how it works, but it seems horrifying. Whatever that process is. But honestly, at this point, what I'm truly scared of is that I'm gonna die like Elvis. <laughs> the last thing in the world I want is for my wife, Katie, to have to go to the mortician and choose if they want the funeral to be open asshole or closed. <laughs> the mood in the room has definitely shifted from peer moods to straight up jock jams. Tootsie Roll by the 69 Boys is playing. As I make the decision to stick my finger up my ass and I start chiseling like I'm trying to get out of Shawshank. Once I made the decision, it was not a wild process. It was very calm, you know, I tried pushing in desperation and it hadn't worked. This was almost a meditation. It was almost as if my third eye opened right there on the toilet and I surrendered myself completely to this turd. If this was gonna pass, it was gonna have to pass through, you know, pure relaxation. Andy Dufresne did not get out of Shawshank in one night of fury. He worked slowly and calmly over years. So I shift. I become Michelangelo looking at that enormous bulky piece of marble and deciding I'm gonna make a masterpiece.
So I'm chiseling, but I'm also like shaking it and I'm trying to shake it loose. And that bowling ball of weight in my colon begins to lurch forward like that giant boulder in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's encouraging that it started moving, but it's also terrifying because now all that weight is centered on my tiny little butthole. I'm feeling the most intense pressure I've ever felt in my entire life. My veins are bulging, but things are moving. We have to go forward. It's almost as if my butthole is a submarine that's gone too deep in the ocean and the pressure is starting to crush it. And I'm just the captain there yelling, hold! Hold! Nuts and bolts are flying past my head and water's rushing into the cabin. Hold! Hold! Eventually my asshole opens up wider than the sun. All of the muscles in my body work in congruence and pass the statue of David. I feel relief like I've never felt before. I feel free. I feel like Andy Dufresne coming out of that sewage pipe. I went through a river of poopy water and came out clean on the other side. The shit changed the way I live. That purse that was once empty is now filled with tux medicated hemorrhoid pads, tux medicated hemorrhoid cream, stool softeners, and a rosary. A couple months after this shit, the doctors made the decision to um, go into surgery because they had to get the cancer out soon. So in order to get to the tumor, they had to cut my chest wall open. In order to get the proper margins, they had to take out uh, three ribs, a wedge of my left lung, an artery, and some lymph nodes. I remember I woke up in the most pain I've ever felt and um, I was on a ton of pain meds, which also gives you constipation. I remember the day after surgery, Katie walked into the hospital room with this huge tub of stool softener. I was in so much pain that I couldn't move. And I remember she mixed that stool softener into my water and she fed me beef stew. And I can't think of anything more romantic. She was there for me during my transition. She was there for me during cancer twice. And she was right by my side during the biggest shit of my life. <laughs> so um, I got a CT scan two months ago and it showed that uh, there's no sign of disease. The treatment worked. Thank you. So now me, Katie, and our two cats, Don and Chubbs, can start living our lives together again. I may have lost some ribs, and I may have hemorrhoids, but uh, it's a small price to pay to be yourself and live the rest of your life with your love. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> no,
all for this week's episode folks this is screaming jay hawkins behind me now when jeff Barr included this song in the episode i thought it was him singing but this is a real screaming jay hawkins song and before that we heard of course from jonathan Giuseppe, who you can find at jonathan as well as a couple of interstitials that were created by our editor taj easton you know we've been getting so creative with with the interstitials and the transitions lately that we want to make some sort of transitional sting or something before advertisements so that it's clear to you oh now you're entering into an advertisement just don't want to confuse anyone on that front you know we uh rely on advertising we sincerely wish we could go by patron only support uh, we do have over on patreon patreon.com risk a lot of bonus content and uh, by becoming a member you can help keep us running because you know even with the advertising kind of just breaking even over here and have never given up on our plans to expand Oh, also speaking of Patreon, if you do become a member at patreon.com slash risk, you can get the ad-free versions of the episodes right at the same time that they come out on the free feed. And if you want to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. That said, here's an advertisement. Unless... There's not one. <laughs> so I, I'm recording this in the past, so I don't know. Folks, don't forget that I teach storytelling one-on-one training. You can find me at kevinallison.com. And Risk, we have our other company. It's our school, The Story Studio, where we teach big workshops with lots of people and corporate workshops. You can find all that at thestorystudio.com. Org. Folks, today is the day. Take a risk. Splash! I feel, feel alright. Yes, I begin to feel alright now. Splash! Yeah, yeah, I tell you. Everything's gonna be alright. Flush.
We are experiencing an unusually high amount of calls at the moment. Please hold and the next available agent will be with you as soon as possible. Sixteen callers ahead of you. Please remain on the line.